glad you could be here to worship with us. We're going to do just that. Let's worship together this morning. We're going to start our service with the Lily of the Valley. If you could, if you would like to rise and sing. I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I stand. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He all my grief has taken and all my sorrows born. The temptation is my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn from my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. You'll never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live by faith and do His blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. From his manna, he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. As you can tell, I am not Frank. Uh, he, he doesn't look nowhere near this good, but uh, that is my brother. My name is Scott Palmer. It's good to be back with you guys again this morning. Uh, Frank texted me this morning and said that they're in Dallas fixing to eat some barbecue and then headed back on their last leg. So just continue to pray for them. I know they've had a good week as a family, and I know there's a large family of them with them right now. So be praying for all of them to make it home safely. But as we do that, let's go ahead and welcome one another in the house of the Lord this morning. Good morning. Good to see you again.
Praise God. Okay. Announcements. I'm here to announce that we have much cuteness on this stage right here. Overwhelming cuteness. I I really think this is probably the cutest stage. Or No, this is an altar. This is the cutest altar in Wilson County. I'm thinking. Praise God. God is good, isn't he? Man, how awesome is it to get to come together and to fellowship with our family? And uh, the, the important part, family, our, our, our supporters in, in Christ. Amen. Okay, our, our uh, announcements. This is, this is all that's in our bulletin. Actually, we're up to the uh, um, morning worship part. These other parts here, the fellowship breakfast and Sunday school, you're too late for them. Sorry. But they do happen next week again, and the fellowship breakfast is good. Carla made these things out of little smokies and croissants. They were good. Scrambled eggs. Should have been there. Just saying. (laughs) That happens at 9.15. I'm so sorry. Was it me? Was it something I said? Evie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, um, the Sunday evening worship, uh, I just got a note from Frank. We won't be having that tonight. He's still in Dallas and on the final leg of his trip, and he's had a real good trip and wanted to thank everyone for the prayers of support while he's been gone. And uh, they've had a really good time and and uh, done a lot of good visiting. Oh, poor Evie. Yeah. Poor Evie. You know you can spell her name wrong side out. Have I told you all that before? I mean, I beat it into the ground, but it's really cool. It's, let's see, which one is this? That's a forward backslash, right? Okay, it's backslash, E-E-E-E, forward slash. If you spell her name wrong side out. Did I say backwards? I meant wrong side out. You spell it backwards and it's Evie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, then Tuesday, uh, there's the uh, so no Sunday evening service tonight. 
Uh, Tuesday, ladies' Bible study at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday. Wednesday, there's a men's prayer group that meets here uh, early in the morning. It's at 6.30 a.m. And then uh, Thursday, there's a fellowship supper at 6 p.m. It's usually really, really good, as good as that breakfast. And uh, the food is good, but the fellowship is even better. And uh, And we'll have a Bible study at that time and go over our prayer list that's also in your bulletin. And I, I, I just hope that everybody will keep that prayer list and that they will, you know, maybe find something in there, someone in there that God burdens your heart to pray about or put your hand on that list. God knows everyone in it. Pray over the whole list because God goes to work with those prayers. And, uh, there's a lot of people on that list and, uh, Praise God, we can pray for them. We're given that opportunity. And also, uh, there's a children's Bible study uh, at the same time, and youth. Um, and then Thursday, uh, there's also a food distribution. There'll be some food given out at that time. We're, we have a, a spring workday coming up. Uh, and we're still looking for names to sign up for the upcoming Workday, we don't have a date set on that yet, but we're looking for the names to be signed up. We want to clean up and do some painting here. And uh, and uh, we want to get a list of uh, victims to call. For <laughs> It's a good kind of victim. Okay, and then uh, there is going to be a vacation Bible school meeting next Sunday after the 11 a.m. service. It's actually time to... Uh, start thinking about Vacation Bible School, and uh, um, we're short on teachers this year. Uh, we need teachers to lead groups, okay? Okay, uh, I believe it's, you have the scripture reading, right? Brother Chris has the scripture reading. Amen. Let me pray with you, brother. Father God, I just uh, I praise you for uh, my brother's willingness to serve you, God, both in the music and to come up now and to uh, to share with us from your holy word, God. I, I praise you for that. Thank you for letting us be here. Uh, and I just I pray that you reward his obedience today, God. Bless us with what he has to say. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Oh, I could have messed you up. <laughs> I might have been usurped for the scripture reading. She might be imparting on us instead of me. Anyway. Um, okay, I'm going to go ahead and read the scriptures first, and then I'm going to comment and talk about them. This is actually the verse of the day in your Bible app, most of the Bible apps that we have as a verse of the day. And this was the verse of the day for today. It's uh, Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to do a, a slight comparison here. Um, we're going to start by reading the Holman, and then we're going to read the NIV and the King James. So uh, the Holman says, uh, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Um, then we're going to read the NIV, and the NIV is pretty similar, a couple slight changes. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And then finally, the King James, um, the one that 
I guess in my head works the best for this particular verse, the King James. It says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So that that very last word, deceitful, just resonates a little bit better with me. Uh, Anyway, so... I am a manager in a customer service company. One of the things I get to do is look at all of the feedback that our customers give us, look at all the feedback that our customers give our customer support reps, and I have to process it and do something with it, right? So that feedback is a really important thing. Um, Sometimes I have to give really bad feedback to uh, the people that I manage and tell them to, you know, do something about it, right? But it's it's a difficult thing receiving bad feedback, right? Nobody really likes to hear that they've done wrong or that, that they are, you know, continuing to do something wrong. So um, I always tell the people that I'm managing, or at this point I guess you could say I'm counseling, that feedback is a gift. Um, feedback is always, whether in good or bad, whether it's constructive feedback or whether it's destructive feedback, is, is you know, can be turned into a good thing, Uh if given in the right way or if processed in the right way, I guess you could say. Um, when customers give us feedback, it actually shows that, the, that they care enough for us to get it right, right? They care enough to comment that they you know, want us to change something or fix something. When customers don't give us feedback, that's actually worse for us because then if they're upset, they just leave us and they, you know, we don't know why they left us. We don't have any rhyme or reason for it. Right, so that feedback itself is a gift. Sometimes the feedback is destructive. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes they just tell us how much they hate us. Um, but that we can do something with that feedback. Basically, the interesting thing about this is that those customers don't know us from Joe. They don't know you know who we are. They've never met us personally. They're not our friends. They're just our customers. The interesting thing about this is that in our culture, our friends and our loved ones don't give us feedback. They don't love us enough oftentimes to give us the feedback that we need to make changes. Now, how backwards is that? That you know, we as, as customers to businesses can give feedback to these businesses and tell them what they're doing wrong and yell at them and things like that. But for our loved ones and, you know, the people that we're close to, we've gotten into a day and age where we can't tell them what we feel because we feel like we're tearing them down. Right? That's so backwards. How crazy is that, that we can't tell the people that we love how we truly feel? And that's what this verse talks about. It says, better is open rebuke uh, than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Right? So... Let's be a little bit more open with each other. Let's try to process our feedback in a good way, but let's give that feedback because if we don't, it's far worse if we don't, (laughs) right? Because at least we have some action items. Anyway, I feel like I'm talking like a boss up here. It's weird. Anyway, let's pray. Uh, God in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that gives us direction, uh, that God, that just tells us that you love us and and shows us the right way to to do things, the right way to go about things, the right way to love people. God, um, help us act on it. Help us uh, determine what we need to do and take action on on your word so that uh, 
we can be closer to you. We can, we can live our life the way you intended for us to. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, more of Chris. Just kidding. All right, we're going to sing some more this morning. If you guys would like to stand, let's lift our voices up this morning. We're going to sing Your Grace is Enough. All right. <laughs> yeah, that one's mine. Here we go. Your grace is enough. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart You lead us by still waters and to mercy And nothing can keep us apart So remember your people Remember your children Remember your promise, oh God, your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God. You use the weak to lead the strong You lead us in the song of your salvation And all your people sing along So remember your people Remember your children Remember promise, oh God, your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me, your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough. So remember 
the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God is close talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with Him, though the night around me be falling, but He bids me go through the voice of woe, his voice to me is calling. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we as we tarry there, none other has ever
Good morning. So just as, as just as uh, my brother here said a while ago about the verses in Proverbs 27, um, I hope that you don't hate me when I leave, when you leave here today, but I love you enough to tell you the truth, right? And I think that's something that's very important, that we need to be willing to tell each other the truth. And what I mean is about accountability. And something we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking about what it looks like to die to self. And when we can truly die to ourselves, then the things that people bring to us in love won't affect us in the manner that they normally do where we get upset and fly off the handle and do crazy things. We will be able to be able to be humbled enough to seek God first and say, okay, so this has been brought to my attention. This is something that I'm obviously struggling with. 
Lord, break me, mold me, make me. How do I change this to be who you want me to be for your righteousness? Not for them, but for your righteousness, right? So join with me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, our Lord, I love you. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be here uh, to share your word and your will with these folks here in this room today. Lord, I just pray that you would be rampant in this place today. Father God, I just pray that you would just touch the hearts and minds of everybody here, Father. Make us all moldable to what you would have us to be, Father God. Lord, I just pray that your word penetrates the hearts of everyone here, whether it be young or old, Father God, and that we leave here different than we came in here today. Lord, change, rearrange, and have a new direction and a new path, Father God, because the topic of the day that you have uh, just heavily put upon my heart, Father God, that we can always grow deeper in this subject, Father. We can always humble ourselves more to be at your feet, Father God. So, Lord, I do, I do pray for the pastor of this church, Father God. My brother, Frank, I just pray for him and Sherry and their family. I pray that they get home safely today, Father God, that they have been recharged, refilled, Lord. And sometimes when you go on vacation, you need a vacation from vacation. So I pray that this afternoon, this evening, that they just unwind, Lord, and relax and rest. And, and that they are having an enjoyable trip back, Father God. And that they are fresh and anew and renewed and recharged to lead this congregation in the direction that you would have it to go, Father God. Lord, we just thank you. We love you. And it's in your precious name. Amen. All right, so just curious, and I'm not trying to touch a nerve, um, but again, I think it's important that we understand. Who in here has lost a loved one? And I'm not trying to pull a scab, so please don't take it that way. So when we normally talk about death and we talk about um, everything that goes along with that, it's usually a very sad topic or a sore subject, or it can be something that really just brings up a lot of bad memories. But I hope today, when we leave here today, that we look at death from a new perspective and that we look at death in us and our lives as being something that we strive for. And so I would ask you today, who in here is dead? Anybody? See, I hope that when I explain to you what death really looks like from a biblical structure of what Jesus tells us, I hope that we all raise our hands by the end of this sermon, right? Because as Christians, and if you all in here are Christians, which I pray that you are, and if you're not, that you don't leave here the same way you came in here today, we all really should be dead. Okay? And what I mean to that is dead to sin. Because that's what God's Word tells us. And so if you'll be turning with me to Galatians 2.20, and then we're going to jump over to Romans. We're going to have a little Bible drill action this morning. And I've heard pastors say, you can't do that because that's not a sermon. Well, this is what God put upon my heart, and I think He trumps any pastor that would tell me that. So turn with me to Galatians 2.20. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Right? That means we're dead. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior... We're done, just like Jesus did on the cross, right? Um, And it is no longer I who live, not that we're physically dead, but spiritually we are alive. And it says, but Christ lives in me. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our old self is done. And it is dead, and it is final. But we are alive and fresh and anew in Jesus. Uh, And now I live fresh, uh, excuse me, and the life I live, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So that's a clear picture of what it looks like to have the Christian faith and be walking with Christ. Is, you know, I want to make sure that we, you know, I don't want to take anything away from any of your loved ones passing away, but what I want to make sure you understand is that they're Christians, they were already dead to begin with. Right? And if they wouldn't, you know, I, I, do, I do sympathize with you if they were not, but if they were Christians, they were dead here on earth to begin with. And that's what we need to remember. And it makes it a whole lot easier to accept um, where they may be now and be in joyous occasion. You know, I've told my family, my family all knows, I don't want there to be one wet tear 
at my funeral or whatever you want to call it, whatever they're going to do, whatever they decide to do. I want it to be just loud music, having a great time, playing games, all those kind of things. Because I'm already dead. And I'm happy. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. So why, do I, why would I want you to sympathize for me to not be here? Hey, you'll be rid of me, so praise God for that, I'm sure, for a lot of people. No, I'm just playing. But, but I mean, seriously, though, I mean, if we're truly going to live the life that God has given us and live it in a manner that is worthy of what He calls us to, we're already dead, right? And we need to be celebrating that now. We need to be celebrating that now. I want to make sure you understand that. That's key. Um, so um, turn over to Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. This is one of my favorite verses or favorite uh, chapters in all of God's Word. And we're going to look uh, from verses 7 through 16. So read along with me, if you will. And it says, For he who has died is free from sin. Praise God. Right? That should be just like an overwhelming amen. Right? For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Do you believe that today? Because I see so many Christians walking around beat up and defeated like they're a doormat instead of being bold and strong for being dead. Right? Why do you keep letting sin entangle you and grab you and put an anchor around your your ball and chain around your ankle when it's supposed to be gone? And it's not Jesus that didn't take it away from you. It's that you that keep running back to it. Right? We're going to get to that Scripture here in a little bit. And it says, Now if I have died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Right? Death no longer is a master over Him. So why is death a master over us? And why do we toil with that so much? Right? Instead of being fully submissive. Um, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. I'll make sure you understand that. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. So if we've been died, if we've died with Christ, We've been crucified with Christ. That means it should be for once for all. Not something we keep going back to and keep having to try to do over and over and over again. Alright? Once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. The same thing for us. The life that we live, we should live to God. Okay? Verse 11. Very important. This is one of the most important passages of Scripture for this text. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you wake up tomorrow, and I want you to recite that verse over and over and over again, you're going to have a wonderful day. I'm just telling you. If you genuinely believe that, right? how much different is your life going to be after reading that over and really understand that? Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right. So if you, if you don't believe that, man, it's not my job to do this, and I'm not trying to do this, but I have to really question your salvation. And I'd have to really wonder, do you have a heart condition that you're struggling with that you just really haven't fully given yourself to Christ? Uh, and again, that's not for me to say. That's between you and God. Because verse 12 backs it up. It says, do not let sin reign in your body. It doesn't say we're not going to sin. Adam and Eve messed that up for us, right? That, that old Adam, I mean, that old Eve, which it really was Adam because he was supposed to be leading his wife, men, but um, messed that up for us. So it doesn't say we're not going to sin. There's one word in there that's very important. Do not let sin reign in your body. In other words, don't be overwhelmed with sin and that be your life because then you haven't truly died. You haven't truly given your life and your heart to Christ. Do not, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Very important to understand that. The reason why we don't sin all the time and let it reign in our body is because that's what consumes us. 
I do, a little, I do an illustration with our young people sometimes, and I take a trash can, and I just fill it full of just really nasty, disgusting stuff. And I just keep doing it over a period of about a month, and I make sure on Wednesday nights that they see me putting this gross, disgusting stuff in there. And then I tie it up every day so it doesn't like completely reek throughout the whole building. And then at the end of the month, I'll take that and I'll just dump it on the ground somewhere, not a carpet ground, of course, something that can be cleaned fairly well. And it just, the stench just radiates and permeates into everything, right? And you just see how this disgusting maggot-infested deal, and I know that may be a little graphic, ladies, forgive me for that. But the illustration is the show is if you continue to keep putting trash in your life and you continue to be consumed with junk and garbage your whole entire life, eventually it will permeate out into everything else that you do. Eventually it will come out of everything that you are a part of. Even if you come to church every Sunday and Wednesday or Thursday for this, for this congregation, it's eventually that facade is going to be washed away and people are going to see you for who you really are. Because you can only wear so many suits before the suits start getting too big and start falling off and see the real colors behind them. Right? And so it says, Do not let forward, let sin reign in your body, mortal body, so that you obey its lust. Because when you let something reign in you, if you let Jesus reign in you, which I praise God, hope that you do, and if you haven't, I hope you do today, that's what's going to come out of you. That's what your, your mortal lusts are going to be. You're going to be lusting after Jesus instead of lusting after the fleshly wants and the fleshly desires. So I want to make sure that you get that. And then going on, verse 13, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Man, how many times, how many times is Paul going to have to tell us this here over and over and over again? Right? These Romans were knuckleheads. They didn't listen. Like a lot of people today that sit in church pews, they don't listen. And it just keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and we don't want to listen. Because it's hard. Because this takes action. This takes conviction. It takes something for you to change in your life to be a different person. Okay, Verse 14, For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, I read that sometimes, and I hear people say, well, I'm under grace, man. I got my life right. I don't need to do anything else. I'm done. Wow, go back to the verse 1 of chapter 6 where it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be so with an exclamation point. Romans chapter 6 has more, more exclamation points in it than any other, verse, or any other chapter in the Bible. And every one of them is that, may it not be so. Right? Just because you're saved and just because you made a decision one time, that doesn't give you carte blanche to act a fool. That doesn't give you carte blanche to go and live a life the whatever way you want to live it. Right? Because that's what God's Word is clearly trying to tell us here, is that that's just not the case. You can't walk an aisle, say an idle prayer, and you're done. I know that's what Romans 9 and 10 say a few chapters over, but it also says it's not just with your mouth, it's the conviction and change in your heart. And just like I said last time I was here, if you don't have a heart change, you're going to hell by 18 inches. Because that's about what it is from your heart to your mind. So you might have all the mind knowledge you need, but if you don't have a heart change... There's no difference really happening there. All right? And then it says, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under the grace? Again, just like verse 2, and verse 1 and 2. May it never be with an exclamation point. And then verse 16, this is very key as well. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death, or either obedience resulting in righteousness. So what are you this morning, when I ask you, are you dead, you're a slave to something. I don't care who you are in this room. Everybody in this room is a slave to something. There's something that you do more during the day than you do anything else. Whatever that is, that's what you are a slave to. 
So, I would ask you, gut check time, because I love you enough to tell you the truth as I started this with, what are you a slave to? Is it Facebook? Is it social media? Is it your, jo- your job? Is it your family? And praise God for being a slave to that, but are you a slave to God before that, so when you're a slave to your family, they see God in you and through you? Right? Are you the leader of your home? Are you too busy working? Are you the leader of your home? Are you too busy out running with somebody else, doing other things that we shouldn't be doing? Right? What are you a slave to? Because this clearly tells us, do you not know when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? God's Word tells us in the book of John that we are no longer slaves, that He calls us friends. So what are you a slave to? Are you a friend to Jesus? Are you a slave to flesh? That's what it boils down to, guys. It's pretty black and white, pretty cut and dry. And this isn't even deep biblical theology as Brian was talking about in his Sunday school class this morning. This is basic principle stuff, man. But if we can't get apologetics, as Brian said, if we can't get basic principle stuff of how we're supposed to look when we have a life change, you'll never be able to understand deep theology. You may read it. You may even absorb it. You may even become focused on it and absorbed with it. But again, if it never permeates or penetrates your heart and it never comes out, you're still a slave to the flesh. You're a slave to knowledge at that point. Because I know a, a, quite a few older gentlemen that sit on a front pew that are deacons and leaders of churches that I have a really wonder if they're going to heaven by the way they treat their congregation and why they, the way they treat their families. Right? Because God's Word tells us they will know you by your fruit. And well, they will know you if you have me in you, is what Jesus says in John 15. Do you have me in you? Will they see you? I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? We're the branches supposed to be holding fruit. Producing fruit, and then cutting off whatever is not producing fruit. Getting rid of the things in our lives that are not producing good quality fruit. Not for us, but to show Jesus. Alright, so let's turn over with me now to Matthew. Matthew 26. Because Jesus Himself, so I want to, because Paul is, a, Paul is a mentor of mine. I used to say I wanted to be like Peter, but Peter was a knucklehead. Um, and when I was young and fervent and, and full of vinegar... I really wanted to be like Peter because he had a loud mouth and he wanted a lot of people's ears off of the gospel, right? And now as I've gotten older and a little bit wiser, I hope, my wife would disagree with that probably, but I hope I want to be more like Paul because Paul was a man of wisdom. But also I have, I'm a lot like Paul and want to be a lot like Paul because I know where I came from, trust me. And it was just as bad or worse than Paul's testimony. And I don't ever want to go back to that place. And that's why I have the passion and the fervent uh, the prayer and the fervent just drive for Jesus and for what He says to us because I remember where I came from and I don't want to go back there, right? So Jesus Himself though, and we're going to see ourselves, maybe not individually, but we're going to see ourselves in these passages here. And so I want to read some passages for you out of Matthew 26. And I want to see if you see where you may be in the Bible. Okay, And I'm not one of those guys that believes the Bible was written for me. The Bible was written about Jesus and it's for us to learn more about Jesus and learn more about our Father. And there's things that we can put in here and apply to our lives. But not every scripture in here is directly written for you. Okay? It's not about you. And that's the first thing we have to remember in dying to self is Rick Warren. And I'm not, a big, I'm not a big Rick Warren fan, but he did make a statement that said, it's not about you. And that's the first thing you need to remember. It's not about you. Because when you make it about you, you have completely removed Jesus. Right? So it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And it's about learning more about Jesus. And so this, was, this is a very important time. And Jesus' life that we're fixing to read here in Matthew 26, uh, 36 through 45. And so I want to read this for us, and I want to see if you can pick out who you may be, or who the church today uh, as a whole 
is in these scriptures just as it was back then. Back then. Because I want to make sure you understand that the men that were here at the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus were his closest confidants, his closest friends. Now, I call Peter a knucklehead because Peter was a knucklehead, but Peter also was Jesus' one of Jesus' best friends. Right? And so we have best friends too. All of us have friends that are a little bit of a knucklehead, but hopefully they love Jesus like Peter loved Jesus and, and are really serving Jesus like Peter was. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. So the first thing I'd ask is, when the last time you prayed, grieved and distressed? Now, there's a reason why Jesus did, but do you have such a want and such a love for God that you are grieved and distressed for your sin, as we talked about in Romans 6? Or is it just something, well, I know I'm struggling with this, so let me just lift it up and I'm done. Because that's not going to get it done. You have to be willing to have a heart for God that it grieves you for the sin that you carry around. Because that's only when you come face to face with it and you're willing to verbalize it that you're going to be willing to actually get rid of it. And that you're going to be willing to actually move over and say, okay, God, you take over. As my my sister Lou said this morning, if God is your co-pilot, you need to get out of the seat and move over and let Jesus take over. Because He needs to be your pilot. And then it says in verse 38, Then He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with Me. And He went a little beyond them, fell on His face, and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping. Very important, remember that. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch from me for one hour? You men and women in this room, could you not keep watch from me for one hour? Right? I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. I'm going to come back to that too. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Are you trying to kind of get in the picture of where we are in this, in this story? The church is asleep, guys. And it's time to stop that. And it's time for the church to rise up, right? Praise God, some of that happened during this election cycle and I can already see it falling off. Just like after 2001, when five men changed this world for all of eternity, right? There's enough people in here, if we change the world the way Jesus wants us to change the world, how much more would we have an impact and wake up, rise up, tool up and get ready to go into battle? Again, he found them sleepy and their eyes were heavy. And then verse 44, he left them again for the third time And prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Really guys, are you still sleeping? Right? Think about that just for a minute. Sunday after Sunday, Thursday after Thursday. What are you doing in between, first of all? What's happening between Sunday and Sunday, Thursday and Thursday? Are you asleep? Are you just going through your day? Are you just making it through the day? Right? Very important. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Okay, so what I'll make sure we understand is in verse 39, verse 39 states, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So I would ask you, When's the last time that you said that in your prayer? Because you want to see something change in your life? Humble yourself. 
You want to see something change in your whole existence? Submit yourselves fully to God as Jesus did. Because he said, hey, even especially when you come up with something big, we should be praying about every decision we make, especially the big decisions, but every decision, as Colossians 3.17 says, everything we do should be glorifying to God. Everything we do should be honoring to God. Right? But when's the last time that you have said, especially when something big, not my will, Father, but your will. Whatever your will is for my life, that's what I want. Even if it's not going to be yes, as we talked about in Bible study this morning. Even if it's not going to be easy, because I can promise you're going to grow in the hard times more than you will in the easy times. Even if it's not something that you want your family to have to endure, you better lock arms and have some apologetics, as my brother Brian said this morning. Have some sort of foundation in Christ. Because in those hard times is when your family's going to grow tighter together, if you know Jesus. In those hard times is when you're going to grow as an individual, if you know Jesus. In those hard times is where you're going to excel and be able to teach others, as I don't see her in here, she's somewhere here. As we talked about about her certain situations this morning, that God's going to bring somebody in front of you, whatever circumstances you're struggling with, and when you make them through them, you're going to be able to help somebody else. And you're going to have that divine appointment put before you that says, oh yeah, man, I struggle with that. Let me come alongside of you and help you. Let me come alongside of you and pray for you. Let me tell you what helped me get through this situation. And then more than anything, we need to be asking, God, how are you going to grow me in this? That's humility. How are you going to use me in this situation? Whatever it is, whether it's you personally, your family, your extended family, whatever has been brought to you by a friend or family member, that's humility. That's saying, God, I want all of you and none of me. Not just more of you and less of me, which is our student ministry verse, John 3.30. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible for me. Because it's so small, but there's so much in there. Humility and servanthood are the two things that Jesus Christ taught more than anything else throughout His three years of ministry, four years of ministry. Humility and servanthood. Humility and servanthood. What are the two things that are missing completely from our nation today? Humility and servanthood, for the most part. It's just never really pushed by our leadership anymore. This is the beginning of Jesus' example to us about how to die to ourselves. Because he knew he's getting at this moment everything that's fixing to happen to him. And so, you know, I want to make sure you understand, right? So Jesus is getting from his father the next steps of his life. The next steps of his life is harder than anything I promise, no matter how much you've had to endure in this room, is more than anything that you've ever had to endure. Whether it be hardship, whether it be pain, whether it be hurt, the loss of a loved one. Because you've got to remember, this is where Jesus is finally understanding, and that's why he begs three times. Not my will, but your will, Father. God, I don't want to have to endure this, but if this is what I have to do for me to show who you want me to be for these people, then let me endure it. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. When's the last time you've ever asked God that? Not my will, Father, but your will. Because you've got to remember, from this point forward, He meets His captors and then He meets His killers. The only time, I said this last time I was here, but I want to make sure to say it again. The only time Jesus ever wore color of royalty is after he was beaten, marred, couldn't even be recognized as a man anymore, a crown of thorns slammed on his head that probably would have been about 12 inches long into his brain. That's the Jesus we serve and did that for us. And we see him here humbly on his face to his father. When's the last time you got on your face to the father? Humbly. From the time Jesus was born, the three wise men, which would have been probably about 300 actually, so that's, it's not like the pretty picture we see at the nativity. But the three wise men, even when they came, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar was looking to kill him and came prostrate on their face to a baby to pray to Jesus. When's the last time we've ever gotten prostrate to ask Jesus for anything? 
When have you ever gotten prostrate before Jesus just to confess in adoration and thankfulness and supplication? Very important. Have you ever prayed, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning too, it's amazing how affirmation of God happens. Have you ever prayed and got the answer that you didn't want? Anybody? Happens a lot, right? If you have a prayer life, I promise you it happens quite a bit. And it's not because Jesus doesn't love you. It's not because Jesus don't want what's best for you. If anything, it's because He does love you and He wants the very best for you and no is an answer. I love you enough to tell you the truth. No is an answer. Not right now is an answer. Wait for me is an answer. Get everything together, that's an answer. Right? But it doesn't mean you're going to get what you want just as He says here three different times. Jesus prayed to His Father. If it took three times for Jesus to pray to His Father, not my will but your will, what makes you think you're better than that? Just being honest. Why are we not willing to be over and over and over and over again praying to God? God, not my will, but Your will. Humble me, God. Help me to be submissive to You. And then help me to understand why You've made the decision for me that You've made. Help me to understand the circumstances that are around me. Help me to understand so I can really go forward walking potentially into my physical death as Jesus did here. Why this must happen. And why must I go? Because just think if Jesus would have said no and been disobedient as we oftentimes do and go on our own way. Say, Jesus, I know you're telling me this. I got this, dude. I'm taking over. I'm doing this. Who in here can say you've done that before? The rest of you are lying. Just being honest with you. Because it's human nature. It's what we do. right? We think we have things under control and we think we know better. Especially once you get older, older folks in the room, I'm not speaking for you, but I just have to know through experience, once you hit a certain age, I've gotten to this point, I'm doing what I want to do. You know, me and my senior pastor were talking a while back, and I don't know if I shared this before when I was here, but this is a very important thing for me to remember. Um, talking a while back, and, I, and he's, he's been in ministry 37 plus years. And we were talking about baptisms, and you know, praise God, we had an amazing week this past week, and I was blessed enough to baptize 16 youth, 16 children in Lake Travis. So praise God. Give God a hand clap for that real quick. Amen. So that's all glory to God. But we, him and I were talking... And, I, and we just got talking about baptism, and he said, you know, son, and, he, and we have a close enough relationship, he could do that to me. He said, son, do you know how many people I've baptized of the age of 60? And I'm thinking, man, the number's just got to be this astronomical number. Zero. And he said, do you know why that is? And I was just dumbfounded, man. I just, again, I'm thinking I'm old enough that I understand this a little bit. And he said, because they're too set in their ways. They think they've lived this long, they've got it under control. Some of us in this room, no matter how old you are, you think you've lived long enough that you got all the answers. When I surrendered to full-time ministry uh, here about five years ago, I was the management, manager of a business uh, of a million plus, uh, a multi-million dollar budget every year. I had 600 employees working for me. And I had thought that, man, there's nothing really in a union environment. I thought, man, there's not really much you can throw at me. In the first three years of the ministry of being full-time, I've been in ministry off and on for a while, but full-time ministry, I learned more in those three years, and I was humbled more in those three years, and I was submitted more in those three years than I ever had the other prior 40 years of my life. Right? And so, but I was willing to be humbled. I was willing to submit. I was willing to grow and learn. And guys, I don't care how old you are in this building, it's time to submit. And it's time to be humbled. Because I promise you, if you don't humble yourself, God will do it for you. I promise you He will. He'll take you out right at the knees. Right when you think you're on the highest mountain that you could ever be a part of. Right? So again, remember, no is not an answer. But in verse 42, we see again, 
He went away again a second time and prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away, so he's understanding he has to accept this at this point. He's understanding that he must go to the cross. That he must take the pain and endure all the hardship at this point. And then he continues on. He says, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. So again, when's the last time that you faced a hard situation and have said that and not ran? Have said that and not tried to hide from the situation? But ask God, okay God, your will, not mine. I'm going to be fully submissive to you. No matter what happens, that's what I want to do. That's what dying to self really looks like. And so I want to read something to you about dying to self. Crucified with Christ, as we talked about in Galatians 2.20, means that we must die to ourselves. We are in one of the most self-serving, self-delusioned environments that we've ever been in this nation. right? And so uh, I shared a while back with you guys about millennials being the highest number of people in this, in this nation now. And they are the ones that would tell you they don't want to hear anything. Most of them would tell you, because I told you only 2% of those being the largest generation, only 2% of them really attend church. 4 would attend, 2, 2%, 4% would attend, 2% would really be involved. And so, but they would tell you straight up, they don't want to hear nothing you have to say as a Christian. Because the world is so impacting them about do what feels good, do as much of it as you want, and as fast as you want to live, live it. Because the world will let you do anything as long as it's not illegal. But there's a difference between illegal and right. Right? There's whole books of the Bible. First and Second Corinthians, two of the biggest books and two of the most meat. Paul had to write twice to tell them about sexual immorality. This nation is being consumed with sexual immorality. Pornography has become one of the biggest industries in this nation driving economics. Wow, where have we went and how lame of Christians have we become that we allow something to devour our children at five and six and seven years old and not make filters on things? That's extra, but it just, it just it eats me, man. And I have a love for kids like never before, and I, it kills me to see our young people just being devoured by this. And we're not doing anything about it. Most churches aren't even praying about it because that's taboo. I can't talk about that. I know two pastors have been fired in the last year, two youth pastors that have been fired in the last year that I would stand toe-to-toe and say they're probably some of the most deep men I've ever met for t- counseling their students over pornography. Church, we've got to rise up, man. We've got to realize sexual morality is in the Bible. And we've got to start preaching it, we've got to start teaching it, and we've got to tell people what it can do to your lives. Right? Especially our young people. I know you guys have a couple of young youth leaders here that do those kind of things. But man, we need to be praying for those other churches that are not. These two churches that I know these two gentlemen come from are what people would call a mega church. So they're running five, six hundred youth and never being able to tell them, hey, there's a cliff coming. There's a cliff coming. There's a heroin needle over there. I know you have an addiction. Stay away from it. Not allowed to do that. Where's the church gone, guys? We need to be praying for these churches and praying for the church as a whole. Dying to self means resisting the temptation to do whatever else is doing, everyone else is doing, when you know it is wrong. Dying to self means being humble in every situation, not prideful or arrogant. Dying to self means to forgive instead of harboring a grudge. Dying to self means putting down the remote control, video game controller, or cell phone and picking up the Bible. Dying to self means praying when you would rather be sleeping. Dying to self means not being possessed by your possessions. Hear me. Because that's the society we live in today. Get the biggest truck, drive the nicest car, have the job that kills you and never takes you, takes you completely away from your family. All those kind of things. Dying to self means 
being, not being possessed by your possessions. Dying to self means to get out of your comfort zone and tell someone that Jesus about Jesus and what He's done in your life. Dying to self means doing what God wants you to do rather than what you want to do. Dying to self means recognizing that God is God and I am not. Very key to remember that. Recognizing that God is God and I am not. And He has the best decisions and He wants the best for you. And as I told you last time I was here, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And you hear every health, wealth, prosperity, gospel preacher preach you that. What they don't tell you is that God's Word clearly says that in Proverbs, but it means that you have to be aspiring after what God's heart is. Because He wants to give you the desires of your heart if your heart desires Him. Not all the possessions, not all the wealth, not all the stupidity. Him. And He will fulfill the desires of your heart if your desires are what His heart is. Dying to self means recognizing that God is God and I am not. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you must love God more than anything or anyone else. And as we see in verse 42 again, your will be done. Your will be done. Full submissive. Full humility. Jesus is acknowledging here that He knows that the cup cannot pass for Him unless He drinks it, and in doing so is submitting Himself and His will to the will of the Father. Turn over with me real quick, and this is where we're going to hang out pretty much for the rest of the morning. Mark chapter 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark chapter 8. Alright, so Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Sorry we're running over a little bit today, guys. And it said, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, this is kind of like the armor of God. You know, I hear people say, and, and I'm not dogging these people for saying this, by the way, but I hear people say, man, get up every morning and put your armor on. Get up every morning and put your armor on. Get up every morning and put your armor on. That's not what God's Word says in Ephesians 6. It says once you put it on, it's on. And that's the kind of life you need to be living, knowing that you're armored up, ready to go into the battle. And you need to surround yourself with other soldiers, because the only part it doesn't talk about being covered is your back. So you need to surround yourself with other Christian soldiers that are watching your back as you go into battle. You don't take that armor off. Once it's on, and you've made that commitment, it's on. Same thing with this. I hear people say all the time, man, pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. That's not what this says. And again, I'm not dogging those people for saying that. Praise God, they're trying to reach people for the Gospel. But what this says... If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. It doesn't say deny himself only on Sunday morning. It doesn't say deny himself only on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights for you guys here. It doesn't say deny himself when you go to a Christian concert or a Bible study. This is an action item of permanence. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not once. Not once a week. Period. Right? So when's the last time, or have you ever, Truly denied yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Right? Because you've got to remember what the cross symbolized in his day. The cross symbolized in his day crucifixion, death, ugly, disastrous, not the pretty cute little things that we wear on our necks. And I'm not dogging you people for have those. If you have those, praise God, that's your symbolizing remembering Jesus. But it's not that. <laughs> it's not this, and this is a pretty good representation, but it's not this. 
This would have been old, rugged, heavy pieces of wood that people's hands and ankles would have been driven nails into. And in Jesus' case, you couldn't even recognize Him as a man by the time He got here. And He still had to carry the cross that far before they had help. Come and help Him. So one of the things I want you to think about when it says, pick up your cross daily, or pick up your cross as it says here, and deny yourself. Man, that should mean something to you. And it's not for the faint of heart. And I think that's where the, the church lacks today, is when young people or even adults come to know Jesus, we don't take them in a room and say, now let me tell you what you really did. Let me tell you the decision you really made. Because it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not for the easy stomach. Right? And I'm not trying to deny or push any of you guys away from the cross by no means. What I am trying to do is make you into soldiers. Make you into people that when you rise up out of here today, you're changed, rearranged, and different. And that you are willing to truly have died and left it all here. So when you go out there, you know there's an adversary waiting for you at that door, as he read this morning in 1 Peter 5 8. Your adversary is roaring around like a lion, seeking to devour you at all times. If you don't know that when you walk out that door, you're immediately devoured. Because if you don't know there's a lion sitting over here on the corner, you don't have your armor on ready to go. And that's why God's Word tells us to be armored. Not sometimes, not part-time, all the time. Because we don't serve a part-time God, we shouldn't be part-time Christians. He's being honest with you, right? Alright, so we'll close there. Um, I had a little bit more, but I don't want you guys to be running too, too late. But I do want to give you one more, uh, one more Scripture, or two more Scriptures actually. 2 Corinthians 5.17 clearly tells us that the old is gone and the new has come. So what about you? Is the old gone? Are you still dabbling in it? Is the old still about half of you? And you look like Two-Face off of Batman or whatever that movie was. Right? Half of you is just really disgustingly nasty and the other half of you is good looking and serving God. Because God's Word clearly tells us in Revelations you can't live that way. He'll spew you out of His mouth. as vomit. Right? And then one more, because it must start with prayer. If you want to truly, successfully deny yourselves today, if you want to truly become a different person when you leave this room today, there's fixing to be an altar call. And I'm not telling you you have to run to this altar because that's between you and Jesus. I would encourage you to come because there's power at the altar, but there's power right there where you're at as well. And so if you don't feel confident enough coming forward, man, I sure, again, highly encourage you to leave here differently than you came in here today. Because it must begin with prayer. And it must be sustaining prayer. Right? It must be a priority, and you must make it a priority. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If you're still following, if you are still following a course of self-pleasing, you are only deceiving yourself uh, if you... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. That's a quote, though, from A.W. Pink. You're only deceiving yourself if you think you have come to Christ. But I do want to read that Scripture from you to you from Second Chronicles real quick. Second Chronicles 7.14, if you're taking notes, because this is very important. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear for heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It must start with prayer. Honest, humbled, fully laid out. Everything to God. And be willing to say, hey, it's not mine, it's yours. Right? I had a guy the other day, I'm also a chaplain and vice president of a motorcycle, fairly large motorcycle ministry. And here a while back, one of our guys' bikes broke down. And I said, hey, it was his, one of his main part, points of transportation. I said, well, come get the trike. And he said, you're joking, right? And I said, no. I said, come get my trike. I said, that don't belong to me. That belongs to God. I said, just because I pay the note every month and God has blessed me to be able to do that, that's not mine. 
right? The other day, somebody, I have a big old jacked up blazer that somebody wanted to borrow. Come get it. They thought I was joking. Come get it. That don't belong to me. That belongs to God. My office is, I've been blessed with uh, tons and tons and tons of commentaries of different things. Every one of my students know my office door is never locked. Anytime they want to come in and borrow a book and borrow a commentary or get one of my Bibles, which I call all of my best friends, those don't belong to me. Those belong to God. And when you truly can understand that nothing you own belongs to you, regardless of how hard you've had to work to get it, that it's all been given to you as a blessing from God, man, you're not slaves to that thing anymore. You're not slaves to that possession anymore. My mother-in-law could say and testify that that's who I am. I'm not just telling you this for me. I'm telling you because that's who God is in me. Right? And I pray that that's who God is in you. Because those things that you hold on to so tightly in that savings account that you just can't get rid of and bless people with, and I'm not dogging you for that because God says we're supposed to be responsible with our finances, but it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. And we are to use everything that we have to glorify God and bless the kingdom. That's what it looks like to be died to self. That's what it looks like to be truly humbled in the presence of God. Right? So we'll close there, guys. If uh, you guys want to come up and lead a little bit of worship, Chris, that would be awesome. And uh, we'll do an altar call. And again, guys, you can pray right where you're at, but if you want somebody to pray with you, I would love to do so. But again, don't leave here the same way you came in here. And I hope and pray that you've learned something today about what it truly means to die to yourself and no longer be a slave to your possessions. No longer be a slave to your sin. No longer to be a slave to anything, but be a friend to Jesus. Because that's what He wants and requires of us. Right? Alright, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You again for this day. We thank You for this opportunity, Father. Lord, we thank You for going to the cross for us, Father God, and sacrificing Yourself, knowing the pain and heartache that You would have to endure. Knowing that the pain and heartache would even be more from the scoffers and those that would spit on You as You walked to Your death, Father God. Lord, I love You. I thank You for every possession and every blessing and every wonderful opportunity to have with these folks here, Father God, interacting with one another, fellowshipping with one another, Father God. Lord, I pray that this congregation would grow in depth first, Father God, before anything else, Father. Lord, as they're going into the, the, the topic of apologetics and knowing what a foundation is in You, Father, knowing why they believe what they believe, Father God, I pray that the Sunday school room would be completely packed every Sunday morning from this point forward, Father God to know what the foundation is and what You have called for it to be in our lives, Father God, so we can stand firm and steadfast when we meet adversity. Stand firm and steadfast when those adversaries come looking at us, Father God, and come seeking to devour us, Father God. Lord, I just love You and I thank You for being in this place today. Lord, our Father God, I just pray that if there's anybody in this place that does not know You, doesn't have a relationship with You, Father God, that this message has really touched them, Father. Uh, that You have really touched them, Father. Not me, anything i said, Father God, that has not been of You. Please have it stricken from our minds, Father. Because, Lord, I just want us all to have an anxiety for the lost, Father God. As that's what You've called our first purpose in life to be, is to have an anxiety for those to know You and to know what You have in store for them, Father God. So, Lord, we love You. We thank You. I pray for this time of invitation, Father God. Again, that You would rush into the hearts and minds of those here. And uh, that your will would be done in your precious name. Amen. In here this morning, again, I hope something impacted your life. I'll be here for a little bit if you want to talk and didn't want to come up and, in front of folks. Man, I'd love to be able to talk and pray with you and counsel with you um, again. So um, remember to be lifting up Frank and your prayers and his family again. One more time to remind you of that. 
um, as they'll be back this afternoon, and I'm sure you'll see them throughout this next week. So, Brian, would you mind closing us up in prayer today? for letting us come here today. Thank you for the fellowship of God. I just pray that uh, what we've learned today will help us to, uh, to stay dead to ourselves, Lord, and to uh, keep you first, God. To just keep what's important in the first place, God, and that's you. And Lord, I, I just praise you for our family here and for letting us come together. And, and God, I pray for uh, Pastor Frank as he comes home today, Lord. Give him a safe trip. Uh, give him a good journey and, and give him the relaxation. It can only come from the peace that can come from God. And do forgive us when we fall short. I pray these things in holy name. Thank you.